Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Well, happy Easter. My name is Mike Moses. I'm lead pastor of Lake Forest Church Huntersville, live with you today. And welcome from me to those of you who are joining us on Facebook Live, live stream, or WCNC.com. We're super glad you're here. I dressed up more than normal for Easter, like many of you today, just to say it's a special day. In fact, last night I had a tutoring session online with my cool son in how to tie a bow tie. So I have skilled up with something new. Now, for those of us who are Christians, and for, and for those of us worshiping online who are not sure where you are, but you are and want to be a spiritual person, let's look together at Jesus for Easter. Over these last many weeks, we've seen some surprising things like baseball stadiums empty, no March Madness, no school to go to physically, but we've also seen some incredible glimpses of hope. Like from pro baseball players using uniform materials to stitch, to stitch together protective masks, to Lynn Manuel Miranda and the Hamilton Broadway cast, like serenading to a, a nine year old superfan stuck at home. That's super cool. Even the New England Patriots, the symbol of evil in this town at least, they even they got in on the goodness, uh, using their team plane to deliver medical supplies to those in need. In fact, it was so cool that the Boston airport even renamed the terminal gate the Patriots used for this. It's now called Deflate Gate. <laughs> Sorry, that was for my younger brother, bro. Uh, what's come through for me in all of this is our common humanity. Like, we're all human, and, and, and we're all vulnerable, and we all care for one another, and we're trying to. Now, we're living in what many people are starting to call the great pause. And in one way or another, for all of us, life as we know it has been put on pause. Um, imagine with me for a moment, like, what if, what if, what if, what if it would have been like for Jesus and the disciples at the Last Supper if it happened during a great pause like this of distancing? Oh, wait, you don't have to imagine. We have an image from the Apostle Paul's, uh, the Apostle Peter's Instagram account of a Zoom version of the Last Supper. Super cool. And I'm quite sure Peter would have never muted himself in a Zoom meeting. Okay, seriously. <laughs> Today, in the midst of this great pause, we want to pause and reflect on the significance of the three days of Easter. Uh, now, this great pause that we're in, it, it, what we're bringing to the table as we come to this scripture is it's affecting each of us differently. Like as a pastor this week, I Zoomed with a young couple just to check in on their marriage this week. And, and honestly, both of them, their employment is secure and they're thriving at home, having fun doing crafts with their kids during this great pause. Later in the week, the next day, I Zoomed and prayed with a single man this week who's a healthcare professional. And, and for him, it's a pause from normal work into hyper work. And he said, Mike, I wanted to talk to you because I'm thrilled, like I'm so confirmed in my calling from God to be a healthcare professional and serve people. But at the same time, I come home and I'm alone every night and I'm struggling with overwhelming fear that I'll contract this virus and die young. And so we talked and we prayed. That's the pause for him. 
And then uh, Thursday, I served communion in the backyard of a man and his wife in our church. He has the virus. He's tested positive. And I stayed not six feet, but 20 feet from these, my dear friends. Their great pause is a full home quarantine. And you know what? That couple, the man who's tested positive, they were the most hope and faith-filled people that I met with this week, even though his COVID-19 symptoms still persist. The great pause has been different for each of us. So on this monumental day, where each of us are in our own situation, let's turn to the Bible and let's learn about the singular God-man, Jesus And though the fact that at the end of of today's message, the fact that Jesus is risen is not going to be a surprise for you. I know that. But what might surprise you is what came just before that. There was a great pause also in the Easter story. And that pause, I, I think, has something unique to show us about the meaning in our lives, about hope in our lives, especially this year at this time. Now, we're going to take a look at Easter as written by the first century early Christian writer, Mark, who records tell us he was a mentee or an assistant to Peter, the chief apostle of Jesus. Peter was an eyewitness to these events, and Peter was there. He watched it all go down. And it matters to me, and, and I think it should matter to you, that the gospel of Mark is credibly tied to an eyewitness to these happenings. Now, I appreciate you Lake Forest people. That was really fun to see you read our our scripture passage earlier. And if you guys were listening and watching for it, Mark has embedded three time stamps into this passage. If you want to turn to Mark 15, Mark 16, that's where we'll be. There's three time stamps. And the first time, and that's our, 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 the way we're going to look at the story today. The first time stamp is Mark 15, 42. It was preparation day. And now notice Mark gives a helpful footnote for you and me. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Jerusalem council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Now this is Friday. Jesus, like just now, died. And Mark calls Friday this day on which Jesus died on the cross, preparation day. What is that? Well, it wasn't tax preparation day, which thankfully has been delayed for us. It's Sabbath preparation day. You see, Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, almost everyone else in the story except for Pontius Pilate are Jewish people. Preparation day was was to prepare for the Sabbath, the holy day. And so preparation day, you get your work done, you get your play done, you get your food already prepared and you shop so that you you can shelter at home, which is what the Sabbath was for the Jewish people in that day, the next day, being the Sabbath. And Mark tells us basically so that on the Sabbath you can be at home, you can't work, you can't shop, you can't travel. It was actually illegal to do any of those things on the Sabbath day. You're just quiet and you worship. But this wasn't just any preparation day. This was also Passover, the most famous Jewish preparation day of the whole year. It was significant. In fact, Passover is the reason why Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem anyway this week. You see, the the Jewish festival of Passover was a big deal, and it happened once a year. And it was a time of hoping in God while also Daring to look unblinkingly at the reality of sin and evil in this world. And, and, and look at the reality that only God, only God's action 
Only through that could sin and evil be atoned for. And so, under God's direction at the first Passover and every year since up to Jesus' time this moment, God's people would sacrifice a lamb and then mark their doorposts with the blood and guilt for sin and death itself would then pass over them. That's where the name comes from. The blood of the lamb would atone for their sins and death would not touch them. Now, check this out. Do any of you remember what John the Baptist called Jesus in front of great crowds from Jerusalem on the day John baptized Jesus three years before now? Look at it. John 1.29 is recorded. John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And just the night before, Mark has already told us that Jesus had celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. And he went through all the normal Jewish ritual, but at a critical point he changed the script. When he broke the bread and passed the wine around, Jesus said, this is my body, my blood. I will be the Passover lamb. And if you will come under the covering of my blood, then judgment and death will pass over you, just as it did God's people in Exodus. Friday in the Easter event reminds us, yeah, there really is such a thing as sin and suffering and evil in our world. Duh. (laughs) It touches every one of us. And we long, just like Joseph of Arimathea is described here, we long for the kingdom of God to come. And all this this suffering and evil must be dealt with in some way. It is not a mere illusion as some religions teach. And so Friday is God's answer to the problem of sin and evil. Jesus, the God-man, says, I will be the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so you may be forgiven. That's Friday in this three-day weekend. And now our story continues. It's late Friday afternoon. Joseph gets the corpse of Jesus, it says, meaning he was dead, 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 dead. And he's in a hurry. The clock is ticking. He's only got a couple of hours before the sun sets because that's when Sabbath begins. That's how the Jewish people mark time. We mark the end of a day at midnight. They marked it at sunset. And Because remember, on the Sabbath, no work is allowed, not even a funeral or body preparation. So Joseph only had time to get the body, to go shopping for some strips of linen, and then tightly wrap Jesus' body, but he didn't have enough time to embalm it with spices and ointment. That'll have to wait for Sunday, Mark 16, 46. Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. The sun goes down, and Joseph of Arimathea has to pause because that's the start of Sabbath. And then what happens next? Nothing. Absolutely nothing happens next, and that's the point. It's Holy Saturday now, the great pause of Easter, the day the world seemed to stand still. We're at day two because, see, the next verse, which is, Chapter 16, verse 1 of Mark, is day 2. It it says, when the Sabbath was over. That means that between the end of Mark chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16 is a 24-hour period of silence. Saturday, Sabbath. 
the great Easter pause. And what's happening at this point? Again, nothing. Which is what happened to you yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. There's a whole lot of nothing going on in all of our great pause. But this great pause in the Easter story is not for nothing. The disciples were actually at this moment sheltering at home on Saturday in an upper room. Likely Joseph of Arimathea was with them. But when it looks like nothing is happening to us, that's when God is often doing some of his most significant work. And that's why Mark reminds us, this Saturday, Holy Saturday, Easter Saturday, is not just any quiet homebound day. It's the Sabbath, the holy day for the people of God, the day of rest and worship. Because the ancient Jewish faith, which Jesus and his disciples practiced, revolved around Sabbath observance. Many of uh, my Jewish friends' faith today does the same. It's one of their people's great gifts to the world. And it's no accident that Jesus' work of redemption finds its pivot point on this day, the Sabbath. Uh, for the Jewish people to seemingly do nothing on the Sabbath day, if you're observing... It was actually an act of supreme existential humility and joy. The fundamental point of Sabbath is this. Hey, whether I work or not, whether I get a little bit more done on that project or my online class or not, whether I sweat and strain or whether I, I, I work, Zoom from my bed in my male joggers and PJs all day, whether the economy is working in my favor or it's tanking, whether the plague in our generation or many generations before us is under control yet or not, I stop to worship and acknowledge that in all things, the ancient one of days, the holy one who is a consuming fire, the rock that makes people stumble, a whispering gentle breeze, the Holy One is sovereign and is accomplishing God's plans even now. God is bringing about what He has purposed from the beginning. Exodus 34 says about Him, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy, forgiving iniquity and sin. That's who is worshipped on this day of the week in the pause, and we're doing so right this moment, well done. As Psalm 145 speaks of the Holy One, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. That's who we worship on this day of the week and why we do so every week, friends. It's Saturday. The pause of Sabbath. For us, our Sabbath switched to Sunday because it's Resurrection Day. And on this day of worship, we put on humility in the face of the unknown. We put on trust in what we do know. By worshiping weekly and daily in the Scriptures, we choose, and you can start choosing right now, we choose to trust a good God who's revealed in creation itself because something doesn't come from nothing. Bottom line, philosophically. And we trust a good God revealed in God's saving acts toward his people, Israel, and the church in history. And we trust that even when we can't see it, God is working for our good and his glory behind the scenes. 
in a realm even beyond the fantastic quantum realm we are discovering these days. It's Sabbath, so we pause to worship in humility and in joy that God's got it. But this Saturday, in the story that Mark is telling us, recounting the historical event, this is not just a Sabbath pause. This is the great pause. Joseph of Arimathea and the disciples are in their rooms afraid to go out. Their worship that Sabbath must have sounded something like, well, yeah, but God, why did you let Jesus die? Why did death defeat if he's the Messiah? We can't see your purpose, God, in his death. We can't see your purpose, God, even in our suffering. That's what their worship must have sounded like. And our worship today, your worship today, is full of questions and upset during this great pause. Uh, the wedding that I was to officiate later this month has been postponed until the fall. I'm sad for that couple. A friend of mine's father died. Not only can they not go and gather and have a funeral, he can't travel out of state just to embrace his grieving mother. Life in the great pause can be difficult and dark like that pause that day for the disciples. But friends, old friends, new friends, please hear me when I say this to you. When we encounter the great pause in our life, it's a time for us to lay down our expectations of how God should act, even as we raise our expectancy of how God will act. To continue like Joseph of Arimathea is described in this account, to put our hope in the kingdom of God and look for it. And when you worship, when you pray, when you read Scripture, during the pauses in your life, when you can't see what God is doing, you're doing just that. Those are acts of faith and trust in the pause, that trusting that God is yet preparing other things, and God is even preparing you for His next new work in your life. And on that Sabbath... That great Saturday pause, oh my, was God working, although it looked like nothing was happening. So, Jesus on the cross on Friday solves our sin and evil problem. Jesus in the tomb on Saturday. We deal with our trust problem. Will I trust a sovereign, good God who's revealed himself that he is loved through Jesus? Will I trust him when there's a pause? between my questions and my understanding. And now, come with me through the third and final time stamp in our passage. It's now Sunday morning at dawn. Day three, Sunday, Mark 16, starting with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, in other words, when the waiting was done, the great pause had lifted. Mary, Mary, and Salome brought, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. They're going to go finish the second half of the funeral preparation of Jesus' body. Verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Hey, this is the supernatural. This is an angel. They should have been alarmed. Don't be alarmed, the angel said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. <laughs> oh, friends, there's so much 
rich theology in this passage. I would love to geek out on it with you, but you don't have time for that today, even sheltering at home. So let's finish with this. The timestamp now, did you notice? It's the first day of the week. See, Friday was the greatest preparation day ever. Saturday was the greatest Sabbath day ever and the greatest pause ever. And now Sunday is the greatest first day of the week ever. And Mark doesn't want us to miss it. He emphasizes it. It's the first day of the week. And it's not just that the tomb was empty. It's now the first day of God's new creation. And it's here we discover what Jesus had been doing on Saturday. He was defeating death itself. On Friday, he died to atone for our sins. On Saturday, he defeated death. And on Sunday, he rose from the dead to give new life, eternal life, to all who would trust him. And he came to begin making all things new. And that's why for the early church, this became the center of their faith immediately. He is risen. And you notice in the words of the angel in our reading today, they became the way the early Christians would greet one another on Easter. It's what Peter told the, told the eyewitness account, told to Mark to share with everybody. Now, if you've been around church for more than a minute, you've probably heard it too. The gal, guy or gal up here who's me today says, he is risen. And then you guys there sitting in, in your Easter best or your pajamas, whichever, no judgment, man. Uh, you reply enthusiastically, he is risen indeed, right? Why? Because on Friday, Jesus got uh, great courage, got him arrested. His great love got him crucified, and his great heart stopped beating. On Friday, what looked like the most tragic ending to the greatest life ever lived turned out to be just the beginning. On Saturday, there was a great pause, for the king was sleeping. Jesus entered into death and hell for you and me. But on Sunday, a stone was rolled away. The enemy lost. Death was defeated. Darkness derailed. The devil demoted and hope fulfilled. On Sunday, faith was vindicated. The prophets validated on Sunday. Sin lost. Shame died. Hope soared and love won. On Sunday, you and I were given a life worth living, a purpose worth dying for, and a hope. And this became the central proclamation of the greatest victory over the darkest enemy by the noblest hero for the greatest cause in all of human history, which has led to the church, which is the most diverse and largest organization in human history today still joining Jesus' mission of love to heal the world. And if anything in this hurting, broken world is worth celebrating, it's this. Jesus the Messiah, he is risen. Look, one more time. I, you weren't ready. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Now, if anybody in the room with you right now did not shout out, tell them, jump up and shout it as I say it again. He is risen. There you go. Now, if you live in a neighborhood like I do, open up a window and shout it. Go out to the balcony in your apartment complex and shout it. If you're all alone, text it to your mama. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that means everything has changed. And your whole life can change because of Sunday. I want to finish by getting personal with you for a moment and ask where are you in this Easter story? Which day 
are you in? Have you decided to trust and follow Jesus, committing your life into his hands? There's a great book I read uh, some years back when it came out. It was titled Unbroken. I bet a lot of you read it or saw the movie about a guy named Louis Zamperini. Louis was an Olympic runner. He, he went to serve in World War II. He got shot down in a plane and ended up adrift on a raft in the ocean for 47 days, which was the record, known record at that time. Finally, he spotted a ship only to discover it's an enemy ship. And then he lives as a POW and suffers torture in uncountable ways. And the question throughout the whole book and movie is, can Louis make it? And uh, back to me, uh, back to me. And I don't want to spoil it for you uh, if you haven't read the book, but um, he made it. He did make it. Uh, and he comes home, and now we're thinking, hey, this is a happy ending. Why is there so much book left? But it wasn't a happy ending. Instead, his life falls apart again, only this time on the inside. He had all this fear and bitterness and overwhelming sorrow he didn't know what to do with. And he starts drinking, and he can't stop, and his marriage is hanging by a thread. And out of desperation, Louis's wife takes him to a meeting. Now, this was back in the 1940s when a young preacher named Billy Graham was in Los Angeles. And Billy uh, tells a story about a Savior who died on a Friday to forgive our sins and is raised from the dead to make us new on Sunday. And then he says, now, if anyone is ready, I want you to give your life to this Jesus. And something inside Louis Zamperini is so hurt and broken and hardened, he just gets mad. And says, I'm not doing that. And, and they storm out. But his wife is desperate because their marriage is falling apart. It's just filled with anger, addiction, and depression. And so she begs him and he agrees to go back just one more night. And he says, I'll go back. But when he gets to that invitation thing, I'm not staying for that. She says, okay. And Billy, the next night, again tells about a Jesus who dies on Friday and is raised on Sunday. And Billy says, now, if you've never done it, if you would confess your sins to him, would you give your life and your trust to Jesus and let him make you whole? And Louis is torn up inside. And he stands up to walk out, but he can't. His feet are rooted to the ground. And something just causes him to pause right there. And God did a work in his heart that moment. And he turned. And he says, okay, God. And he surrendered his life to Jesus. And his life on this earth was recreated, as was his future life. Now, the rest of Louis's life, he helped kids out of disadvantaged backgrounds. The whole rest of his life had a great marriage, and Louis's still going today. He's well into his 90s. But he never tires of sharing how Jesus rescued him from himself and gave him a new beginning because of what Jesus accomplished during the great Easter pause. So where are you in the Easter story? Are you the disciple jumping up and down for joy like I am today? Or are you the, the bystander kind of like, I don't, I, I'm just not really going to make any call on this deal. Hey, you may have been far away from God for a long time. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God. You're an eternal being with an endless future in front of you. And God loves you so much, he said through Jesus. He sent his eternal son to find you and bring you home because of God's great love for you. Would you open your heart right now?
to talk to God and be open to trusting Jesus with your life. Let's talk to God right now, you in your own way, and I will. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the greatest Friday ever. When you sent your son Jesus to atone for our sin, we thank you for the greatest Sabbath Saturday ever, the great pause. When Jesus defeated our enemies, death, evil, and suffering, and we thank you for the greatest Sunday, the first day of the week of the new creation of God, when Jesus resurrected to give us new and eternal life. And anyone who wants to pray with me in these words can do so right now. Jesus, I now give all that I know and understand of me to all that I know and understand of you. Please make me whole, forgive my sins, give me new life by the power of your Holy Spirit. I will follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.